Good morning, church. Merry Christmas to you guys. On my heart this morning is the Bourgeois family. Um, Brother John passed away, John Bourgeois, and his funeral was yesterday. Um, I want to thank each and every one of you guys. Our, our church is just an amazing, caring, giving church um, that y'all gave money, y'all bought stuff, and uh, we, we y'all cared so well for the Bourgeois family, and, and I, I really want to thank y'all for doing that. Um, Brother John was a man of God. If you know anything about Brother John, he loved the word tremendously. And I make fun of it, of this because his Bible was so old. I think it was actually the first Bible written and was given to Brother John. Uh, his Bible was just an incredible thing just to behold, just to look at. I mean, he had notes everywhere in his Bible. Um, but he loved Jesus so well, loved Jesus so well. And he is worshiping with Jesus. As we were singing this song, standing on the gospel, I couldn't help but think about Brother John worshiping Jesus at this very moment. So uh, continue to pray for the family, the bourgeois family, uh, during this time. They will be missing daddy, uh, husband, grandpa, great-grandpa, brother, right? So continue to pray for the family that God will give them peace. With that said, if you're a guest, welcome to First Baptist Church of Tipito. We're always excited to have guests with us, and members know that we are praying for you guys, praying for you guys. We are in um, a series, we'll end this series today, and the series is uh, pertaining to the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Uh, so we, we focus on multiple passages of scripture, uh, Matthew, two sermons in Matthew, sermon uh, Tony preached in John, John chapter one, the word becoming flesh, and today we'll look at a very popular, if not the most popular passage of scripture in the entire Bible. I mean, people, people read this text often. And parents, perhaps you did this um, for your devotion during the month of Christmas. You read through Luke chapter 2, right? It's a very popular, well-known passage of Scripture. And we will be focusing on Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I love the gospel of Luke and how it depicts depicts the birth of Jesus, right? It depicts the birth of Jesus, and it kind of gives us a lot of uh, information that the other Gospels did not give us. For example, if you really notice, it, it focuses a lot on, on history, world history. And we get it because Luke was a doctor. Uh, doctors tend to be very detail-oriented, right? And, and here Luke is very detail-oriented. If you read the Gospel of Luke, you could see how detail-oriented he is. Uh, also, the, the book of Acts is very detail-oriented. So Luke is trying to give us a great picture of Jesus, right? The birth of Jesus but in the midst of human history, right? So we can look at our historical books and say, wow, this is true. Jesus is in history. Jesus was a real person. But Luke also shares amazing story about not just the birth of Jesus, but he gives us information about Jesus as a young boy. Luke tells us that he uh, was in the temple. His mother was looking for him. Luke, Luke gives us a lot of information about people who encountered Jesus as a young child. For example, Anna the prophetess and Simeon encountered Jesus, right? So Luke has given us information of people, eyewitnesses, and how they encountered Jesus. So this is a real story, right? This is a real story. This, this is a real person. This is real time, real places, right? Right? 
we can go back in history and see this. So don't miss that. This is a story about Jesus Christ. And we, we, we sometimes look at Christmas and we say to ourselves, Christmas is just about getting together with our family members. And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Buying presents. And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we put emphasis, the, all our emphasis on that and we miss the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was born a virgin birth. He lived the perfect life. He died upon the cross, right? He was buried right? He resurrected and he ascended in heaven and he's ruling on high. We do not serve a God who is in the manger, on a cross, or in the grave. We serve a risen God. This is why we celebrate Christmas. The emphasis here is thanking God that he sent himself, he sent his son to, to, to what? To be born and to die for our sake. With that said, this morning I want you to see God's providence. God's providence in the birth of his son. Right? God's providence in the birth of his son. I want you to see this in this passage of scripture. Don't miss this, and I want you to observe as you heard Chloe read through uh, the nativity story. I do want you to get this. Come in closer and get this. A human king like Caesar, Caesar may have given a decree. And we see this. He gave a decree. Bethlehem may have been a little town, and the baby may have had a humble birth. But God's presence behind the birth makes this event one of the greatest in all of history. You get this. And, and my goal this morning is to show you God's hand in all of this to show you the providence of the Father in the birth of the Son. What are they? Three points this morning. Point number one, God's providence in a decree census. A decreed census. We see this in verses one through three. Two, God's providence in a journey to Bethlehem. God's providence in a journey to Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Why Bethlehem? Bethlehem was like Nazareth. There's nothing good that comes from Nazareth. Why Bethlehem? As a matter of fact, we know of only one king that came out of Bethlehem. It was David. Why Bethlehem? We see this in verses 4 through 5 and 3. God's providence in the most unlikely place for a king to be born. An inn? Right? This is the king of kings and lord of lords. Among Animals? So with that said, join me as I pray for us. Father, we are so thankful for your providence. As we observe the providence, your providence in the birth of your son, we should be amazed at how you continue to work. Your providence in our salvation, your providence in our life, and God cause our heart to trust in you, O oh Lord. That you are in human history. You are moving today, Father. Cause us to trust in you. Whatever we're going through right now, we're saying to ourselves, can God do this? Is God around? Let us trust in your providence. In your mighty and precious name. Amen, amen, amen. With that said, look at point number one with me, right? 
God's providence in a decreed census. Now, I want you to see this, right? Because throughout the Old Testament, we see how God is consistently, consistently um, protecting the seed, right? He's protecting the seed. What is, what is the seed? The seed is Jesus. We see this in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where he talks about the woman would have a seed. This is what the, uh, the original language says, proto-euangelion, the first gospel. Who's the first gospel? It is Jesus. So from the very first book of the Bible, right, in the garden, we see Jesus, the proto-euangelion, and God is protecting the seed. As Adam and Eve, they cast out of the garden God in his mercy. God says to them that he will put away or prepare a way for them, that God would redeem them, God would reconcile them. And this is what we find. So, so from the very first book of the Bible, we see that God is desiring to, to what? To reconcile his people, to redeem his people. And he's going to do it through the proto-euangelion, through Jesus Christ. And this is Jesus, right? So the book of Genesis, now we are in the book of Luke. And the arrival of the proto-euangelion is here. It is Jesus. And what we find here is that God is doing something amazing. God has allowed that seed to come from the book of Genesis, from that history, all the way now, right? And here is Jesus, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what Isaiah says about him. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Who is this? This is Jesus. So Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus. But focus on the last phrase, the last name, Prince of Peace. Just hold that. Just hold that, and I, I, want, I want you to see something amazing about this here. Even in world history, he's called the Prince of Peace. So here is a question that I want you to ask as we're about to dive into this passage of Scripture. So how will God accomplish such prophecy in the midst of human history or events, right? How will God accomplish such prophecy? And here it is, by causing things such as a decree a census, and registration to happen. God moved in the heart of one of the most powerful men on earth, who is Caesar Augustus, to accomplish his great purpose. That's how amazing God is. That here we, here we, we have Caesar Augustus who decreed this great census. And what was the census? The census was about taxes. So, Every young man was meant to go back to his hometown to register to pay taxes. So here we have it. We have Joseph. Joseph is from Bethlehem. So he goes to Bethlehem to pay taxes. So Mary is pregnant. She's about to give birth. And all of a sudden, there is a census. If it wasn't for the census, Mary and Joseph would be where, stay where they were, right? And then we'll have Scripture not being fulfilled. And scripture was fulfilled. Scripture literally says in the book of Micah, Micah chapter 5 verse 2, that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. So God, how will you cause this to happen? Mary and Joseph, they're not in Bethlehem. At any minute now, Mary is going to give birth to this child. How will you get Mary from where she is to Bethlehem? God says, I will use human history. 
I will cause Caesar Augustus to decree this census, and then they will go. You know what's amazing about this? Here's what's amazing about this as well. We get it that Joseph had to go, right? But what about Mary? Why would Mary go as well? Mary went, perhaps for several reasons, right? So we're just speculating at this moment. Perhaps she's going because she doesn't want to stay by herself in that area where people actually wanted to stone her. People didn't like her, all right? So, so there's a lot of gossip about Mary, and here is Joseph traveling. So Mary had to go with Joseph. Whatever happened here, we know one thing. Mary went with Joseph to Bethlehem. Joseph went with Joseph to Bethlehem. Luke is the only gospel writer who related the events here, recorded here, to world history. Do you understand what he's doing? Very detail-oriented, and he wants you to see that Jesus was born. He was. He is real. In 2010, the American Atheist Society They put up a billboard sign that stated, you know it's a myth. This season, celebrate reason. But it's not a myth. It's not. History tells us that he was born. We we have Caesar Augustus' um, census here. We, We have real people, real places. Syria is mentioned here. It's a real place. Caesar Augustus was a real person. He was a grandnephew uh, of Julius Augustus, and he became Caesar. So we have real people here. And don't miss this, friends. I want you to get this because this is very important. Like Nebuchadnezzar, like Cyrus, Caesar Augustus is seen as a divine agent bringing about God's purpose and plan. Isn't it amazing? Like Pharaoh, like Nebuchadnezzar, like all of these wicked kings in the Bible that we read, and God can still use them to accomplish his great purpose. And this is exactly what God has done here. God used an event in human history to point, to show us the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, how would God fulfill the promise here? By assessing taxes. How would, how would he do that? By causing Jesus to go to Bethlehem, to be born in Bethlehem, so that scripture can be fulfilled. God's providence in the birth of his son. But not only that, notice me the second point. God's providence in a journey to Bethlehem. The decree is simply that Jewish, the Jewish people, Jewish young men, would travel to Bethlehem or travel to their, their, their home, ancestral home. And here it was that Joseph was from Bethlehem. So he had to travel 70 to 80 miles. Can you imagine that? 70 to 80 miles, very tough terrain. They didn't have an Uber, right? right? There's none of that going on, right? Had to be on a donkey, perhaps, perhaps walking. And there's a woman about to explode. There's no doubt that she's about to give birth, right? And she's walking 80, 70 to 80 miles, right? Yeah, let me ask you a simple question. If you know you're about to give birth anytime soon, would you travel to go to Disney World? 
Some women might say yes. <laughs> they love Disney World a lot, right? But here's the point. Mary traveled, traveled with her husband. And God allowed that to happen because God is sovereign. Notice this, what one commentator mentioned. Leon Morris, this is what he said. We should perhaps reflect that it was the combination of a decree by the emperor in distant Rome and gossiping tongues of Nazareth that brought Mary to Bethlehem at just the time to fulfill the prophecy about the birthplace of Christ. God works through all kinds of people to effect his purpose. He's absolutely right. What about Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that says, you are Bethlehem. You are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come for, for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Who is Micah talking about here? He's definitely not talking about David, the only other king from Bethlehem is David, and Micah is after David. David is dead. Micah is not talking about David here. Who is he talking about? Jesus Christ. God allow this to happen. Bethlehem, a small, insignificant village to be among the clans of Judah. <laughs> God allow this to happen. But friends, don't miss the importance of this passage here. That God allowed Jesus to go to Bethlehem, a small, insignificant place, to allow us to see that he has fulfilled Scripture and that God is in charge. You know what I love about this? How, how do we know that Jesus is talk, um, Micah is talking about Jesus in Micah chapter 5, verse 2? It's exactly what Jesus mentioned as well. One of the things that we understand when the text mentions here, whose coming forth is from of old and ancient of days, is understanding what Jesus said about himself in John chapter 5, verse 58. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I. I always existed. This is the beauty of our Savior here. So in reality, God controls the world at all times and places, and he works his will. He does. This is good news for you. When you see the collapse of our economy, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, I know, I know people, even Christians today, they, they, they watch the news and Fox News and CNN, and they're like, well, well the Chinese are going to come for us, and the Russians are going to come for us. So what they do is they stay in their homes, and they do nothing. Listen, God is in control of all of this. As Christians, we glorify God, and we live our lives to make much of Jesus. We do not live in fear. This is the beauty of this story here. That God's going to use human history and events to accomplish his great purpose. Friends, trust in our God. Trust in the providence of our God. You know what I like here? God did not write the Roman law, but he judged it. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? He didn't write it, but he judged it. God didn't make Joseph's bumpy road easier, but you know what he did? He strengthened Joseph. That's what he does. That's the providence and sovereignty of our God. 
and we must trust in him. And third and final, third and final, I want you to see God's providence in the most unlikely place for a king to be born. Do you see it? In Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, I want you to see this passage of Scripture. Verses 6 through 7. He mentions this. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Let's just stop. While they were there, she gave birth to her firstborn son. Why would Luke mention firstborn son? Why? Here it is. Are you, are you ready for it? Come in closer. Get this. It's simple. It's simple. Uh, to, to have a firstborn basically means you had other children, <laughs> right? Right? Her firstborn son, which means Mary had other children. Jesus was the first, the incarnate birth, right? We, we know what God did. The Spirit of God basically was the one who placed that seed in Mary, right? And, and what we have here is that Jesus is the firstborn. Mary had other children. I know Catholicism, I know other religions are saying to you something different. But I need you to get this. We want the Bible to inform us. We want the Bible to tell us what we must believe. And the Bible here tells us this, but not just the Gospel of Luke that says firstborn, right? But no, notice what Matthew does. Matthew lists the names of Mary's children, Mary and Joseph's children. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 55 through 56, it says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Talking about Jesus. Is not his mother called Mary? Or not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not his sisters with us? Where then did this man great get these great things? So we're given information that Jesus had siblings. <laughs> Mary had other children. But notice this as well. Not, not just the firstborn, but it tells us something amazing about Jesus' humanity. We have this romanticized view of the nativity. And I kind of shared this when I was walking through the book of Matthew, we, we, we have this idea that when Jesus was born, Jesus didn't cry. He was this perfect little baby. There's no colic. There, you know, when he was hungry, he wasn't crying for food. Jesus never wet his diaper. Wow, that would be awesome, right? One of the things I hate doing is changing my kids' diapers. That would be awesome. But still, that's not a reality. Jesus was fully human. And the text tells us that he was wrapped in swaddling cloth. You know why they did that? It was the Jewish traditions to make sure that their limbs were straight. So Jesus was susceptible to having his limbs not being straight, which tells us that he was fully human. And the text is pointing to that. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths, right? And the text even went on by sharing something amazing too. Notice with me in verse Seven, she gave birth to the firstborn, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, the inn here is not what we think. You know, we think of Holiday Inn, bread and breakfast. That's what we think in our culture. This is our Western mindset of thinking of Scripture, but that's not what it is. As a matter of fact, 
in Luke chapter 10, that's more of the inn that we're thinking about. But the inn here basically means a guest room. It was a guest room. In other words, we have the idea that we're going to different motels and knocking on the door and saying, hey, can you let me in? Let me in. I'll give you money for it. And they were rejected time and time and time again. That's not what happened. What happened here is that they went to a particular place, perhaps a relative, because Joseph is from Bethlehem, and that relative perhaps gave him a guest room. Now, the guest room included sometimes animals. So what they would do in that time, because of the harsh weather, they would get the animals to come into the house with them, right? That's crazy to believe, but they would do that. You know, I I don't know about you guys, but I'm very familiar with sheep, and they stink. They stink really, really bad. So who knows? They had sheep, donkeys, who, who knows what kind of animal they had in that house. But it was custom for them to do that. So here we have it that Mary and Joseph is in that house. And we have this idea that Jesus was born in a stall. The Bible never mentions that, okay? It's an inn, a guest room. And in the guest room, there were animals around. It wasn't a stall. It was a guest room. People were used to that. And here we have it that Jesus was born in a manger. And friends, don't miss this. I need you to understand this very carefully. Here is the king of kings and lord of lords being born in a manger, being born in a guest room, being born among animals. This is an amazing thing for us to see. This is why I told you Jesus came as the prince of peace. When Caesar Augustus was born, his entire time of reigning The Roman Empire said it was a time of peace. And now we have the child of peace who is greater than Caesar Augustus. We have a humble Savior who's born in a manger to show us the disposition of our God. This is the God we serve. This is the beauty we serve. So we ourselves must be humble. We see what God loves. God loves humility. God came very humble. God was on a donkey when he entered into Jerusalem. Everything about Jesus is humble. His birth, his life, his death. And in all of this, we see the providence of our God showing us the King of kings and Lord of lords. Coming closer, coming closer, and don't miss this. Jesus was born in a manger. He died on a cross, and along the way, he had nowhere to lay his head. That's our God. The prosperity gospel guys don't like this because they're not reading Scripture that we're reading, but that's what Scripture says about our God. So, friends, this morning... Are you making much of our Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe some of you are here because your spouse invited you. Maybe you're here because your friend invited you. Maybe this is the first time or second time or third time you've attended church this year. Whatever it is. Maybe some of you are here even as Christians and you're struggling tremendously because of this season. You're saying, man, I'm broke right now. I bought a lot of gifts I did a lot of these things. I am stressed right now. 
Listen, you're not meant to be stressed in this season. A thankful heart is a happy heart. Do you get this? A thankful heart is a happy heart. Be thankful for the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that will give you the joy that you need in this season. Do not forget the reason for this season. It is Jesus. We celebrate Jesus, not just in December. We celebrate him every time, every day. So join me as we pray. Father, I am thankful for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the manger, the significance. I'm thankful that our Savior is so humble. There is a King of kings and Lord of lords. This, this is amazing. The God who is over the cosmos. The God who can speak and the world was created and be destroyed. The God who can speak and then there is life. It's a God who was born in a manger. A God who died on the cross. This is why the world, they have a very difficult time understanding this God that we serve. Because this world is focused on, on, on being prideful and aggressive. But our God was gentle and humble. God, speak to our hearts. Lead us. Let us have a better perspective of our Lord Jesus Christ. His birth. His life his resurrection and ascension. God, we love you. We worship you. We thank you. Amen, amen. Please stand. Respond to the word of God. I'll be up front. I'd love to pray with you. But respond to the word of God. And if you're not a believer this morning, turn to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know you heard this when we were singing, I stand on the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The amount of people who are singing, man. There's a reason why we believe in the gospel. We never depart from the gospel. We saturate our lives in the gospel. That's what makes us a Christian. It's because of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you do not know the gospel, have not trusted in the gospel, will you turn to Jesus? Will you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior?